I did forget to say, for those of you who are new, my name is Miles. So glad that you're here in church. And no, it is not typical for a moment like that to happen. But at the same time, I, I think it's, it's telling that God has something so clear and significant to say. And so we want to make sure that we get you connected in the life of this church. Gage will talk about that at the end of the gathering. I'm going to continue in our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke that we titled The Invitation of Jesus. And every week we're looking at these different stories from the life of Jesus that are opening our eyes to what it actually looks like to say yes to the invitation of the Son of God. But I do need to clarify, the invitation of Jesus is not just a come follow me moment where you decide to surrender everything and give your life to be a follower of Jesus, where you become a Christian and maybe pray a prayer and maybe get baptized and dedicate your life to him. So the invitation of Jesus has moments like that that are lined in, lined in the sand. I got to make a decision. I'm going to follow God, and that's awesome. But the invitation of Jesus is much more a journey than it is a moment. And so his invitation for us in every season and in every part of our journey, it looks different depending on the level of maturity that we're at, depending on the circumstances that we're in. But I just want to make sure I clarify every week when we're saying the invitation of Jesus, that's not, well, I said yes when I was 13 at a youth camp, like the one you were describing, sleep deprived and ready for God to move. But I, I, I'm ready to say yes to the invitation of Jesus on my life in this moment. And the beginning stages are awesome. Dedicating your life to Jesus is a powerful thing. Being baptized is a powerful thing. In fact, Baptism Sunday, without a doubt, is my favorite Sunday of the year in the life of our church. We have two of them every year. One of them's coming up on November 6th. And if you want to get baptized, this is your opportunity. We got four gatherings all throughout the day. We'll figure out how to include all our other locations in on this. But baptism is the public declaration of a commitment to Jesus. We ask people to come up here and tell their story, which means be honest in front of a large group of people about what Jesus has done in your life. And it's powerful to watch six-year-olds besides 60-year-olds proclaiming the goodness of God. But I do want to call our church that regardless of where you are in your journey, if you've never taken the obedient step to be baptized as a believer in Jesus, you can do that. It might be a little bit embarrassing for you because you're like, well, I decided to follow Jesus a long time ago. This isn't like a new thing for me. I just never got baptized or I never said yes to that call on my life. We believe it is important to take that step of obedience in whatever season you're in. And even for some of you who are baptized as infants, we honor that tradition, but we also honor a believer's baptism here at ACC where we believe it's important for you to be mature enough to have a cognizant confession. I believe Jesus is who he says he is, and I want to dedicate my life to follow him. And so you can sign up to do that. You can sign up to learn more, even if you're like, I'm not sure if it's the right step for me. I want to talk to a leader in the church about whether or not that's the right step for me. But baptism is a powerful way to begin your journey. Here's my public declaration, like a wedding ring, I am committed to following Jesus. But the journey has different challenges for different eras. There are very different hurdles and temptations depending on where you are in your spiritual journey. And one of the most complicated things for me on a weekly basis is to allow the word of God to be illuminated in such a way where every season of life can be included in what God is saying. That makes it even more difficult that I'm only 34 years old 
and haven't encountered the level of seasons and wisdom and learning experiences, aka failures that happen with age that allow you to learn, okay, here's what God has done in my life. David Fickner, one of our elders, he's on the front row. He always says in the elder meetings, like all wisdom is, is being old enough to fail enough. (laughs) Wisdom is just deciding I'm going to learn from the fact that I've messed this up so many times and actually apply it to my life. But I believe that as we look at the most famous story in the entire gospel of Luke, it's going to hit people different depending on what season that they are in. And I believe Jesus knew that as he told this parable specifically aimed at the different audiences that were hearing what he was saying from the place they were hearing it from. I'm talking about the parable of the prodigal son in the gospel of Luke. And I believe in the entire Bible, it would be difficult to find a section of scripture that is more famous or well-known for revealing the heart of God. But as we look at this, we're going to intentionally look at it through the filter of what does this mean for me in the season of life that I find myself? Did you bring your Bible to the earliest gathering at Auburn Community Church today? Would you hold your Bible up? All of our other locations, hold your Bible up, hold it up high, hold it up higher if you believe in miracles in Auburn, Alabama. Because sometimes God just wants our team to win more and does things to ensure and sometimes mandate that it happens. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Sometimes he'll do it. It's crazy. We're going to find out in heaven how involved he really was. And I, ha- I have a feeling there's an Auburn logo somewhere in there. Luke 15. Something you need to know about the parable of the prodigal son, very famous parable, But you need to know that it happens in a set of three parables that Jesus told back to back to back. And he told these parables after a concern, more so a criticism was raised of his ministry by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And that criticism, if you're in Luke 15, is actually up in verse 2. In verse 1, it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Tax collectors, sinners, the worst of the worst are hanging out with Jesus. And he's not just hanging out with them, he's eating with them. See, in our culture, eating with someone doesn't have any type of connection attached to it. But in this culture, to eat with someone was to take them into your life. Hospitality is such a big deal. To share a meal with another human being was to go, I accept you. I am with you. And the, and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are rightfully going, how can this man demonstrate such miraculous power, claim such lofty things about his ministry and place in the kingdom of God that he's come to bring and behave like this? Now, in 2022, we all have this tendency to read the Bible in reverse and go, oh, there they go again, the Pharisees always muttering about Jesus, always spreading rumors, always gossiping. They just need to get over themselves and stop with their self-righteousness and pay attention to where God is at work. But I'm pretty sure if the vast majority of us were around 2,000 years ago, we'd be saying the same thing. A lot of their motivation was good. 
They're passionate about keeping the law. They're passionate about the scriptures that were once forgotten in their people's history. Now in this era that Jesus has brought his ministry to, they are dead serious about committing their lives to the word of God. And they're watching this man claim to bring the kingdom of God and spend so much time investing in people who live the opposite way that their law actually teaches. So more than you need to judge the Pharisees, I think you need to weigh whether or not you are one, first of all, And also notice that some of their motivation was good. They want an answer for what is it about you that makes you so powerful in what you do in your ministry, but also so open to people who we would normally say it would be okay and right to be closed off to. And Jesus's answer is three parables, back to back to back. And each parable follows the same story arc. Something gets lost, something gets found, and a party happens. A sheep gets lost, a shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one, brings the sheep back, and throws a party. Every time I hear that story and I notice Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance, I kind of laugh to myself because you realize there is no such thing as the 99. There is no such thing as righteous people who don't need to repent. There's only sinners who need to repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's the whole point of this section. And Jesus is going, here's why I eat with them. I eat with them because God sent me to reveal something about his heart. And that is that his heart wants to reach out to people who are far from him, bring them back home and throw a party. Second parable is a woman who lost a coin. She finds the coin and wants to throw a party. It sounds weird, but you need to understand that you do this in your spirit every time you lose your AirPods and find them. If you're anything like me, like that, that, that sinking feeling where you're like, I don't know what I do with my AirPods, and it's hilarious between me and my wife because this has happened like 50 times, but that, that relief that you get when you go, oh, that thing that matters, but it's not like that valuable, it's, but it's just that feeling of going, I thought I was going to have to get another one, but now I got that. She's like, I'm ready to throw a party just because I found what was lost. But then the third parable. The third parable is the one that has the same story arc, but then continues, Because there will be a son who is lost, found, and a party thrown, but that will not be where the story ends. In fact, the most important part of the story will happen after the party gets started. This is a parable that I like to think in my mind, Jesus was aware of a story like this that actually happened, but is even more likely that Jesus was using this as an example of the heart of God, just like he does so many times in his ministry. We're going to read the whole thing. And it's going to take a second, but I can promise you, even if you've heard this story your entire life, every single time you read the parable of the lost son, you will get something new about the character and the nature of our God. So tune in. Do not miss this. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. If you're there, say I'm there. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the Son of God come down from heaven to tell us what the creator of the universe is like. And this is the story he tells. How can it be that a God so holy, so terrifying, so powerful, so sovereign, and so magnificent, how can that God also be this gentle and tenderhearted and compassionate and fun and slow to anger, how is it possible that the hands that shaped the universe are open hands of love toward wayward and sinful human beings? This is the good news of the gospel that we celebrate every week when we come together. It's why we're freaking out if you're new. It's why we lose our minds about Jesus because Jesus came down to reveal the Father and said, the one who made everything, the one whose holiness, if you stepped in the room with him, you'd be obliterated into a million pieces. That, that one, he loves so patiently 
And with so much mercy, you can barely fathom with your mind how much grace is available for you. Wow. May we not view this story through the lens of our history or previous knowledge. May the word of God be illuminated in a million new ways as we just read what we read. But also know this, there are not a thousand sermons that contain the space for what needs to be said about what I just read. In fact, every time I read it, I notice something little that I'm like, whoa, that has so many implications for who God is, for who I am, for what I struggle with it. And I never even saw that little wording. I never even saw that response. I would challenge you this week, take the time to read this parable every day and notice just the smallest little detail of two words here, three words there, and apply it to your life. But with this sermon in particular, I felt called by God to preach it to different seasons of the journey spiritually. Because I believe what's happening in this story, look up here, don't miss this, what's happening is what you're witnessing in the younger brother and in the older brother are two clear temptations that you will struggle with at different points of your journey in following Jesus. The younger brother being the one who comes to his father and says, give me my share of the estate. Now know this, 2,000 years ago to do that was to say to your father, I wish you were dead, but since you're not, can I go ahead and have the stuff that will be mine when you die and be done with you completely? This was not just a financial moment or someone in their youth doing something frivolous. No, this was, Dad, you're dead to me. I just want your money and to be left alone and never see you again. It was to scorn and mock and disregard and disrespect your father in such a way that the father has absolutely no obligation to oblige. To, I don't even know what word I tried to say. To agree. <laughs> oblige. We'll get it right as we go through the day. Father has no obligation to do anything. And he goes, okay, that's what you want. Take it. Says he goes to a far off land, squanders his wealth in wild living until a famine hits, hires himself out. And when he ends up feeling the pangs of hunger in his stomach that make him long for the food that he's feeding these pigs, he comes to his senses. Early on in your spiritual journey, One of the main temptations you will fight is the struggle to believe that life is better outside of the Father's house. You will notice yourself in a war of desire where life looks more compelling and satisfying out there with them than it looks in here with him. And the temptation to actually bite the fruit that tastes so good for a moment but goes down like poison is one that will mark the early years of your spirituality, particularly if you become a believer at a young age. Because our culture will tell you you're missing out. Your friends will tell you you're missing out. For every college student, high school, or middle schooler that we have today, I just want this one to be fresh on your minds. There is a lure, and it is a lie that says, Life is so much more fun and satisfying and compelling outside of God's house. You get to act on your desires. You get to get what you want. You get to live for money and sex and have the fullness of life that this world promises to you. And it does feel good for a moment. And then leaves you more empty and desperate 
than you ever found yourself before in the father's house. But the moment that shifts for the younger son is the moment I'm praying happens a thousand times over today. It says, I believe it's verse 17, when he came to his senses, that moment is so huge because only the Holy Spirit can cause that moment. It's when you all of a sudden go, hold on, what? This is not who I am and this is not what I want. I'm over here struggling to get by and wanting to eat pig food while the servants in dad's house are living it up. I've been out there and hung out with them. Why am I living this way? It's when all of a sudden with spiritual eyes, you see who you really are and you remember your identity in Christ and you decide it's better at dad's house than it will ever be out here. Only the Holy Spirit can open someone's eyes to see that. And I'm, I'm slowly in this series accepting that because I try to help people see that before God shows them that by talking faster or louder or with more compelling stories and hoping and praying that you're listening enough to go, you know what, that makes sense. Jesus wins, I get it. That's the headline of the Bible, but that's also the headline. Yeah, he is better. I, I can't make you see that through my delivery of content. The Holy Spirit can make you see that by giving you eyes to see and ears to hear. Fast forward the story though, promise we'll come back to the younger son coming home. And you get this phrase in verse 25, meanwhile. Every other parable Jesus told in this set of three ended at the party. But this one continues. Because this is the moment where Jesus is not just answering the Pharisees for why he eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's telling the Pharisees why they don't. And he's going, I'm going to answer the second question you should have asked. Why should you do what I'm doing? And here's why. Older brother out in the field, hears the sound of a party, finds out it's for his younger brother who took the estate that was his, spent it in wild living. He's come home. Dad killed the fattened calf for him. And it says, the older brother became angry. Few people tell you this early in your relationship with God, but it needs to be said. The struggle to control your desires and believe that Jesus is better marks the early stages of following Jesus. But there is a season of following him where, not that you've gotten over all your old desires and not that you're completely sanctified, but there is a shift that happens where you're not waking up in the middle of the night thinking about running a million miles away from God. Where you're not tempted to go this direction and that direction and never come back. There's a shift where the main battle for your spirituality is not to get your desires under control and in line with God, but where the main battle becomes your own struggle with disappointment and bitterness and disillusionment. There are older people in the life of our church who are not tempted at all to run from God. But they're even further away than the younger brother in their hearts. Because here's what happens as you get older. You get older and you get hurt. People disappoint you. You start building up these IOUs in your mind. You start accomplishing things or not accomplishing things. You have these dreams at 20-something or 30-something that have kind of come into fruition, but you settle into your 40s, your 50s, and 60s, and there's this bleak realization that this is kind of what life is. This is kind of what marriage is. This is kind of my lot in life. And if you're not careful, there's a disillusionment. I love that word, by the way. Disillusionment is when you realize that something isn't as good as you thought it was going to be. 
and, 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 and how jaded you can become if you don't deal with that can become an inner place of frustration and bitterness where you're angry at your sister and you don't talk to her anymore. You're angry at your parents and they're gone and you can't deal with that issue. And you're angry at God because things could have gone better for you. Or you're just quietly cynical about everything. And you become so cynical that you don't even see this in yourself. Everybody else knows it about you. You're the last person they want to run into at something. But you've just become a joyless Christian. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's exposing that the fight to remain close to the heart of the Father is the fight to remain soft-hearted like the Father. Son ran a thousand miles away. Older brother still at home, but heart is far from God. Some of you have never left the church, never left Jesus, never left your spouse. And your heart couldn't be further from God this morning. And I want you to see and come to understand that the answer for your issue is actually quite simple. Complicated in practice, but simple in revelation. It's simple because it's the same issue the younger brother had. Both of them had the same problem. What was their problem? They became disconnected from the heart of the father. Both of them got so distracted by something else that they lost their connection with the personality of their father and a genuine knowing him at a deep level. Here's, here, here's my message today in just one sentence. That's a little bit long, but you can pay attention to it. When we fail to delight in the love of our father, we will become enslaved to sinful desires or enslaved to our own bitterness. When you fail to enjoy the love of your heavenly father, you become a slave. On the one hand, like the younger brother, enslaved to the desires you have for things other than God. Or on the other hand, enslaved to bitterness that sets in the longer you go without walking in close delight with your father. But the answer for both issues is the same. Delight in the Lord and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart, Psalm 37. Or delight in the Lord and he will what? Soften out what the world has made so hardened in your heart. And what we need to happen today, especially those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, is we need to confront the realities that are in us that God wants to expose by the power of the Holy Spirit and make us soft again. What, what, what does he want to expose? He wants to expose our slavery mindset. Did you notice both sons reached for the same concept in response to their issue? Slavery. The younger son, when he was practicing his speech that he would make so his father would take him back, said this in verse 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired, here's the word, servants. I know what I'll do. I've blown my opportunity to be a son in his house. But maybe he'll have enough mercy to just let me live with the slaves. Maybe he'll have enough patience just to let me stay somewhere on the property. Settles for slavery when he's a son. Watch what the older brother does in verse 28. Look, all these years I've been what? Slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Younger son, I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I'll just be a slave. Older brother, 
look, all this time, I've been at the house, I have been slaving for you. And all I ever wanted was some type of a thank you, something to go my way, a party in my honor. I'll just settle for being a slave. I am a slave, and I live here. Okay, everybody look up here. Both of those realities, I'll settle for being a slave, or I feel like a slave. Are either of those responses indicative of anything you saw in the father of this story? Does anything about his personality put off the slightest vibe that he makes his sons feel like slaves. Now, we only got a snapshot of this father's existence. We don't know the whole story, but from the snapshot we have, what we can conclude to be true about this father is that he is the most patient, gracious, kind of crazy. The fact that he runs to his son who came home, you know, that men didn't run in this culture, much less older men. And the fact that he sees his son from far off means he is going to run, and I always picture it being uphill, and exhaust himself to get to the younger brother. And then on the other hand, he has an older son who's pretty much a jerk, who he's willing to leave his own party to plead with him and not even react to his contempt, but throw love on even more in response to his hardness of heart and bitterness. My son, come here. This is the most gentle, gracious, and loving father that could be. And so the only explanation for the sons choosing slavery over sonship is that they've come to believe a lie about their dad. And because they're not connected to the truth about their dad, they're not delighting in the house and experiencing the life that they were created for. See, this dad in the story, he's the real definition of the word prodigal. Many have made this observation before, Tim Keller being one of them who wrote a book called Prodigal God about this story. The word prodigal means lavishly abundant, wastefully extravagant. And it's called the parable of the prodigal son because it's like, well, the son wasted all of his estate on wild living. So he's the prodigal one. But actually, prodigal in its truest terms just means having over and above and using more than what is needed. You know, our God is a prodigal God. Like when he created the world and set the stage on planet Earth for humanity, he just threw Earth into a solar system and a galaxy and a universe that so far exceeds the time and space and existence of the planet where the stage is. It's funny that we even exist in comparison to the amount of total space that's out there. Like, what do you mean God's like wastefully extravagant? Not wasteful in that he doesn't use stuff, but like he goes above and beyond what's needed. He could have made 10, he could have made 10 different types of animals. He chooses billions. He just goes, you know what I want to do? I just want to show off how rich I am in my ability to spread this out wider and wider and wider. He's a crazy big spender. And here's the thing about his spending habits. When he spends, he doesn't lose anything. Every time he spends, he gains and he's even more prodigal with his mercy than he is his creation. Ephesians says that our God is rich in mercy, which means the more he distributes mercy, the more merciful he becomes. 
The more he gets the opportunity to lavish us with compassionate grace, the more he becomes who he is. So here's the message today. If you're like, this is a really intense message for different seasons. I don't know where this hits me. The, The challenge today is this. Have you allowed God's true nature to soften you lately? Because when you become disconnected from delighting in him, you become disconnected from his heart. Anytime I bring something this real from our stage, I want to be equally as real in vulnerability in front of you. This is one of the main struggles of my life all the time, not just this week, but I had a day this week where this was so magnified in its issue that I knew I had to share it with you so you know. I'm not up here claiming to have all knowledge and expertise on getting out of being the older brother. I'm in the struggle with you. I just had a terrible day one day this week where... I had woken up that morning and uh, I had received some emails, but also noticed some comments that were particularly critical of something I said in the sermon last week. And then to make it worse, I I re-listened to what I said in the sermon last week and I actually thought I did a poor job in what I said. So that made it even worse because I was like, I kind of agree with what what some of you guys are saying. And so just so you know, Sometimes I say stuff up here over the course of talking for four hours on a Sunday that I think about later and go, you know, I could have said that with more honor toward whatever. It was, it was it, just, just to be real specific so you know, it was about um, the practice of confession in Catholicism. And, and what I was trying to say was that I think we should have some sort of practice of confession as Protestants. And even though we're not Catholic and we don't do it that way, but in saying that we're not Catholic and we don't do it that way, I just kind of pushed it aside like, come on, that's so dumb and unimportant and, did it, and then just moved on to challenging us and kind of forgot about it. But I didn't realize how like disrespectful that would be to the Catholic community that does get encouraged by what we're doing here. So please know, like when I miss it like that, I have a soft enough heart and hopefully find the humility to go, whoa, I could have done a better job there. So I could have done a better job being more honoring and patient. And then I just don't like when at 34 years old, I make 34-year-old mistakes. I, I want to be beyond where I am in my journey. I don't like it. And, so, and I'm an Enneagram 8, and, and an 8 hates being misunderstood. Like, I can't stand it when I feel like, and, and you know what else an 8 hates? When, when people judge him for actually studying and knowing stuff about the Enneagram. Um, so please don't judge me. If you don't like it, it's fine. Um, j- just a tool from thousands of years of watching human beings behave and, and a tool for knowing people deeper. It's not a judgment based on a number and, and you're not a part of the occult if you benefit some knowledge from personality tests, okay? Everybody good? Everybody okay? Okay. So I just know that about myself and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling misunderstood. Well, then I get here and I have all these meetings because I was at Samford University on Tuesday preaching. Well, Tuesday's like my long meeting day. Birmingham, we had a lot of fun at Samford. That was, that was awesome. God moved. And, but, but so all my Tuesday meetings got pushed to Wednesday, which is usually a heavy sermon prep day. So I'm in all these meetings, and, and the bulk of decision-making falls on me and, and a few others that make a lot of decisions about how things are going to go Sunday and the next couple of weeks. And then we can't meet next Tuesday because we're in Birmingham again for worship night. And, and so I'm like, I'm stressed out. I'm trying to make quick decisions about a bunch of different things. And then, uh, and then I leave and, and I get like a letter and a phone call from someone who has thoughts about how we do ministry here and, and thoughts that are encouraging, but like, it's always good to be trying really, really hard to do something. And then hear all the suggestions that, that are there for, hey, we could do this better. It's like, no joke, we could do this, this, and this better. And I'm aware of all of them, but I'm trying to like, just be a Christian today. And, 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 then, so I'm, and then I'm studying for my sermon on the prodigal son. And after all of this, 
reading and, and, and discovering that, whoa, they are so disconnected from the heart of the Father who's so joyful and he's so compassionate and so gracious. And, and I realize it is 1.45 p.m. and I have not smiled the entire day. In fact, as I try to imagine what it would be like to pull my mouth in opposite directions and smile, it's like paining me and against the grain of what's natural. I just got this blank stare that it, it would take a miracle for me to soften up and smile. And I just sense the Lord be like, if you're going to hang out with a God who's like this, you're going to have to lighten up and soften some in my presence. Why don't you, why don't you close the computer? Why don't we have a meeting and why don't you see the smile and delight and patience and mercy and understanding that is on my face and let my countenance become yours. And I'm telling you, you go a certain amount of days, weeks, and months without allowing the Spirit of God to soften you from within, you're going to end up just like the older brother. And so am I. And some of you are there. And so I want to preach this message to us to practically tell us, how do I get a soft heart toward God, whether I'm the younger brother or the older brother? I got a few minutes left. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Number one, accept the invitation. Accept the invitation. What is the invitation of the father? Pursuit. Notice, even though the son's responses to the father were both the same, slave, slave, the father's response to both sons was the same. Pursue, pursue. They don't make it to the father. The father makes it to them. If you're the younger brother, what does it look like to accept the invitation of the father. Well, you could jump to a conclusion and go, it looks like coming to the party. Yes, but you don't end up at the party if you haven't made your journey home. So if you're the younger sibling and you're living a life that just indulges your flesh, you're not faithfully trying to root yourself in the house of God. You're not confessing your sins. You're not living with accountability. And the invitation of God is come to your senses and come home. And we need to realize this about people who are far from God. They have to, based on the power of the Holy Spirit, discover that life is better at dad's house and come home. And I love talking to families that have family members uh, who struggle with addiction about this because this is one of the things I learned about my, my brother and now sister who both have a history with addiction is that a prodigal son can't come to the party when he's back home if he doesn't decide he wants to be home for himself. So a lot of times we try to relate to people who are far from God and throw them in the party when they don't actually want to come home. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do as a parent is sit at the rocking chair in the front of your home and wait and not become codependent on their behavior. But let them, let them have the party. Let them have their drugs. Let them, to a certain extent, go. Now obviously I'm saying this at a certain age, okay? I'm not saying this about a 10-year-old, but there are parents in the room who you're going, that, see, that's the heart of the father. That's how I love my kids. I'll always put money in their bank account. I'll always be their biggest advocate. I'll always love them like this. That is not what this father does. This father waits at home for the son's heart to be ready to be loved. And the Holy Spirit is the one who opens the son's eyes. So what do you do? You pray earnestly, but accepting the invitation looks like make your way back to the father's house and you'll find out 
that if you make that pursuit, the father will pursue you even more. He comes running from far away. As soon as he gets the slightest inkling that his son has returned, here he comes. And so what does it mean to accept the invitation if you're the younger brother? Number one, make your way home. But number two, come to the party. And as much as it seems counterintuitive, enjoy yourself. Enjoy the fact that God loves you and is not holding your sins against you. Enjoy that the grace and mercy of God never runs out. It feels so counterintuitive to enjoy God's love when you've spurned him and you've scorned him, but nothing would bring him more joy than for you to enjoy the fact that you've been forgiven and God wants to be merciful again and again and again and again. So come to the party. Like my, my job to soften my heart based on the love of my father is just to believe that I'm forgiven and God's got nothing against me. And because of the blood of Jesus, I'm welcome and smile and cry and believe it again that I'm welcomed in the presence of God. Yep. Gospel. That's it. That's all you do. Maybe get baptized if you haven't. Come home, come to the party. Older brother, what do you do? Come to the party. But your journey to the party is going to be a lot more difficult than millions of miles of trails. Your journey to the party will have to go through forgiveness and softness and jealousy I resonate with the older brother because I can't act like I would be thrilled in the same situation. I was reading the parable of the workers in the vineyard with my community group on Wednesday, and we're in Matthew 20, where the, the, the owner of the vineyard hires all these workers at different points throughout the day, and then he gets to the end of the day and he pays them all the same thing. And those who work from the morning are like, what? We're getting the same thing as them? And, and the boss says... Are you envious because I'm generous? That's how God is. He's like, what does my generosity toward them have to do with my relationship with you? I'll bring this into your world. Look up here. Think about being at the Atlanta airport. And there's an hour-long line through security. Okay? I use Atlanta because Birmingham, there's no line, guys. Fly through Birmingham. It's better. And so I get, you wait in an hour-long line in the Atlanta airport. You get up to security. And then all of a sudden, they open up 25 more lanes. And so people who are getting there, right when you're up there at the front, are going through security within seconds. They have, the, they have no wait time. You had an hour. How are you feeling at that moment? You're going, no. That's not, no. That's, that's not, that, that is not how this is about to go down. Absolutely not. And God goes, are you envious because I am generous? You need to know this about the heart of God. As compassionate and merciful as he is, he doesn't do this measuring merit on the basis of how he distributes his mercy. He has an unlimited supply, so he spends like it. And the best way to deal with bitterness, rage, anger, envy, is to go back to what was paid for you to be in the house in the first place. Some of you, th this sermon's not nearly enough. You need a journey of forgiveness for the people who hurt you. You need a journey through processing your disappointment and your brokenhearted moments. No, no, no little sermon on the prodigal son's gonna fix that. But the journey to the party looks like a journey back to remember that you owe God just as much for your sin as the worst sinners you can think of in your mind. Are you envious because I'm generous? Hey, you must not realize what it took to get you into the family. And the outcome of the story is up to us. Last thing I'll say about point number one is there's no end to the prodigal son story. The end is supposed to be the Pharisee's response 
Jesus is leaving this. He's like, this is why I'm eating with sinners and teachers of the law. You decide what you want to do with this revelation of the heart of God. But what we do with the prodigal son is the end of the story that we are reading. And my prayer is that we will accept the invitation from whatever season we find ourselves. That's number one. Number two, and this is it, only two points. Accept the invitation, number two. Delight in the Father. Delight in the Father. If you haven't noticed this about God, he loves to celebrate. Literally built it into the calendar of his people to set aside moments to not work and throw big parties and celebrate. We have to be a people who start saying yes to the fullness of celebration God has called us to and turning down our culture's addiction to approval but also to accomplishment and accumulation. We gotta learn to live a lifestyle that says, I have you and you are enough. Luke chapter 15, verse 31. Watch what the father says to the older brother. My son, the father said. You gotta love that. You might think you're a slave. I'll still call you who you really are. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, I have always talked about the my son part of that and the everything I have is yours. But I want to hit on the part where the father says, you are always with me. Because that doesn't fit. Notice what the son said. The son was like, you never gave me the fattened calf, or a party for my friends, even the smallest thing. I've been slaving in your house. And the father says, you're always with me. You hear that and you go, dad, what does that have to do with anything? Like that's, that's not, that wasn't my concern, how much time I got with you. My concern was that I wanted this and I want this and I want this and I want this. And then you realize that the father's intention with his first line toward his son is to say, I don't know when this stopped being enough for you. When did it stop being enough that me and you are together? When did it become insufficient for you to enjoy me? And not that God doesn't want him to have friends or a life outside of the house, but the father is going, oh son, your heart is so hardened because you're not enjoying us. Maybe your disappointment and the condition of your heart today is because you have not found again and again that your father is enough and enjoyed his love for you. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. No one ever told me that when the father divided the inheritance in the parable of the lost son, he divided it two ways, guys. It says he spread it between them. You can go back and read it, which means the, old, the younger son got his and went away. Did you know in this culture, the oldest son got a double, sometimes triple portion? Father's going, what are you talking about? He got his and he wasted it and spent it. Everything you see, yours. The insufficient mentality that says, I don't have enough, I need more, I want. God's going, I bankrupted heaven and sent Jesus. Could not have given you more. Everything I have is yours and more in the age to come. 
So let your heart be softened in the presence of God today as you remember that the body and the blood of Jesus was broken and shed on your behalf. And when you look at heaven, you're not looking at a God with his arms crossed going, work harder. You're looking at a father going, can you uncross your arms and just come to the party of grace I'm throwing today? Let's get our elements for communion out right now. Let's respond to this message, remembering the body and the blood. If you need one, just raise your hand right where you are. Our team will come get you at all of our locations. And let's make sure we set our sights on Jesus before we sing one more lyric. That was a lot to deal with. And my hope and my prayer is that some of you come to your senses and that all of you come back home. Once again, if you need communion elements, just raise your hand. If you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, just drop that under your seat. Maybe consider becoming one and dedicating your whole life to following Jesus. But this is your moment in the presence of God. We'll sing in just a few minutes. Husbands, pray over your wives. Let's let this set in right now.